Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Joining us now on the line is Crystal Wagger, the mayor of Miami Shores Village in Florida, the first elected African-American mayor of that community in Florida. Crystal, good morning. Welcome to Weekend Mornings. Good morning, Singapore. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Crystal, I wanted to have you on because just over a week ago, you held a rally in Miami Shores Village to honor George Floyd, one that was very emotional. You gave a very passionate speech. How have you seen the conversation about racism change in the U.S. over these past few weeks? Um, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here this morning with you, Glenn. I will say this. Let me, let me correct it for a second. I did not hold the rally. Our residents chose to hold the rally mm. and asked me to come speak, Great. which was more important than me holding it. We live in a diverse community. It's one of the most diverse communities in Miami. So I was pretty proud of that. You know, we had people from all races, ethnicities, genders. It was amazing. So I was very proud to be there uh, and very proud to look upon my community and see all the different faces in the crowd. And, And therefore, I got a little emotional at the beginning. Your question, I believe, was how have I seen race relations change in the last Well, at least the, con- the conversation of, around that mm-hmm. has certainly taken mm-hmm. a different tone, um, if, I'm, if I'm reading the situation correctly. You're reading it correctly, and I have to say that I am so proud of the young people that have taken up this, this, this matter, this issue, this critical issue in our country. I think the difference is now is that the people that are coming out to speak on this are not just African-Americans. It's a multi-generational, multicultural coalition of people that are saying no more. No more. No more will we be disenfranchised, marginalized, and thought of as less than. So I'm pretty excited about that, and I'm, I'm very curious to see where this leads us down the line. Many, many have rightly pointed out that you know these issues are 400 years old, more or less, and there have been different periods in time. You go back 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, even further, that that um, people have fought and died to to bring up this idea of racial inequality in the U.S. and how it keeps perpetuating generation after generation. Is there a fear that this time it will? somehow subside back into the background again and not not get the change that is necessary. Already we've seen police departments, you know, talking about how it's impossible to fight the police unions in the case of of uh, mm-hmm. police excessive police force and things like that. How how can change actually be made this time, make it different than the other times? In your statement you said 400 years and when we talk about those 400 years we must talk about we must acknowledge that it started with slavery. And then we went through Reconstruction, and then we went through Jim Crow, Mm. and then we went through desegregation, and then we went to civil rights. And I would say that my generation is the first to have benefited from civil rights, but this has been an ongoing issue that has gone largely unaddressed and largely uh, ignored to the extent that people need to understand it. But this is systemic, and it's been going on forever, so it's nothing new to my community as an African-American. This isn't shocking. It's nothing new. I think, said in my speech a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me what I see as the biggest change in civil rights movement, and I said the cell phone. Because, But without it, (laughs) 
the things we've been seeing in our community thus far, the world are now seeing because we can document it. It is documented how, unfortunately, our law enforcement has been treating us for years, centuries, and decades. And so now, outside of our community, other people are seeing it. People are, are being held accountable and held responsible for their beliefs. And when I say their beliefs, I mean their lack of humanity. Where is the humanity on putting your knee on someone's neck for almost nine minutes? And he's calling out for help and telling you he can't breathe. We've seen it before. Yeah. Uh, this time, I think that people are outraged and we're tired, Glenn. It's exhausting. <laughs> it yeah. is quite simply exhausting to keep going through this. So I believe, to, to answer your question, I believe that not just us yelling and, and, and screaming and pleading about the inequalities, it's the world. And I think that has to make a difference this time. Yeah, I think it was to your point that you just made. It's nothing, nothing new, sadly. I think Will, the actor Will Smith, made the point: uh, racism isn't getting worse; it's just getting filmed uh, and and being mm-hmm. shown more often. And of course, we just had heard about this tragic incident in Atlanta, where a man was shot and killed uh, as he fell asleep at a Wendy's drive-through, uh, and yeah. uh, leading to the to the uh, the um, resignation of the female police chief, female Caucasian police chief there who had been doing, mm-hmm. really working closely with the mayor there, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms. Mm-hmm. So Lance Bottoms, that's there, right. There is still so much, there's so much unease and so much, so much happening across the U.S. and now across the world as well. And what does this tell you when you see, you know, the protests in London and Paris and all over the place? This, mm-hmm. this movement mm-hmm. is really, uh, pe- it's tapped into something that people are, are seeing everywhere and feeling everywhere. Yeah, so thank you for saying it's a movement because it's not a moment, it is indeed a movement. It's overwhelming to finally see the world taking note of this. And and I liken it sort of to apartheid when the world finally noticed and the world spoke out Mm. and it changed for the better. And I'm hoping that this movement will have the same effect. Listen, when you have, you know, 100 great uh, law enforcement officers and 10 bad ones, and the 100 good law enforcement officers stay silent, then you have 110 bad officers. So mm-hmm. it's not that we're suggesting or ever thought that we don't need or value our law enforcement, but we need them to value and empathize and understand and have some compassion for us. And it's been far too long that African-Americans have suffered, have been tortured mm. and, and vilified at the hands of law enforcement. And, and enough is enough. Yeah. Over the recent weeks, especially, we've seen um, quite a number of very forceful statements come out, obviously. And, and a couple of those have come from uh, from black mayors. I, I I think of, mm-hmm. of course, Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and also Melvin Carter up in uh, St. Paul, uh, Minnesota, as well. Yes. He's been—he's really yes. stood out to me. When mm-hmm. you think about the the voice of this generation in this movement and the voices, who stands out to you as as people that are really uh, saying what needs to be said in the way that it needs to be heard? So I, I, I said in the beginning, I think it's the young people, those who are leading the Black Lives Matter movement. It, and it now it's a cross, a multicultural coalition of folks who are saying that Black Lives Matter. 
But the mayor in St. Paul, listen, I went to law school in St. Paul, Minneapolis. Mm, <laughs> mm. So it's very poignant to me. It's very deep for me because I've been there and I've seen how law enforcement acts. So who stands out to me are the youth yeah. who are taking this mantle and they're running with it. And we need to support them. Keisha and Muriel Bowser hmm. in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. who took the time and allowed Black Lives Matter to be scrawled across the street, right across from the White House. Mm. I think that was a powerful statement because, in fact, I don't think we have viable and leadership in this time. I think we have someone who's divisive and, quite frankly, unhealthy for our country. So I love what she was able to do. There, right now, Glenn, we have a record number of black mayors across the country all of them mainly under 55 years old. That says something to me. People are ready and they're listening. And I think with those leaders and, every, and, and all the coalitions across the country, we can make a difference. And, but I hope that this time it matters and it sticks and it's viable and that people are actually listening. We're speaking with Crystal. And I, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. After you. I was going to say, when I'm thinking of people listening, I mean corporate America, I mean government, I mean small neighborhoods like mine who just either don't know what's happening, haven't wanted to listen, are uncomfortable with the conversation. you got to be uncomfortable with the conversation because it's just, it's necessary and it's just gone on too long. And Glenn, we are exhausted. It is tiring to go through life knowing that you're a target of somebody's iry because of the color of your skin. That is exhausting. We're speaking with Crystal Wagger, the mayor of Miami Shores Village in Florida. And Crystal, you made history yourself just a year ago uh, <laughs> as the first uh, African-American uh, elected mayor in, in your town. Uh, and the, was once, you know, a, very much a, a very white, homogenous community going back to the mm-hmm. 1930s. What mm-hmm. differences, what changes have you seen just within the people that you talk with every day uh, in your community? It's now becoming a more diverse community, of course. What what are you hearing on the ground every day uh, in terms of attitudes? Thank you. Listen, it, our, our our city was incorporated in 1932. I'm the first African American mm. to be elected, certainly as mayor, but only the second uh, person of color to be elected in that time. Yeah. And Miami Dade County as a whole is a very diverse place. Uh, Miami Shores has been a very homogenous white community. But in the last 20 years, you've seen the Haitian Americans coming, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Cubans, African Americans. Our community is extraordinarily diverse. And I ran because I thought there needed to be representation of all those communities where there hadn't been before. And what I'm hearing on the ground is that they know the history of the city. So what are we going to do to change it? It is very divisive. It has been very divisive here. There has been a history of racism. And people want to change it. They're very, very, very empowered to do so. And they want their voices heard where they have not been heard before. And I am hopeful that I'm the one to do it, not just for African Americans, but for everyone. To bridge the divide, that's what I'm trying to do. And guess what, Glenn? It's really uncomfortable for some. Mm. And it's sometimes uncomfortable for me. But it's important and it's necessary. Uh, If you're going to make a change, now is the time. So I'm hearing that people want to see accountability. People want to have the uncomfortable conversations. 
And even those that don't are going to have to have them because it's just been too long where we're brushing things under the rug and we can't ignore it anymore. Racism exists. It's a tough life to live with it every day and to be judged guilty just because of the color of your skin or the accent you have or the texture of your hair or the person you love. We're done with that. We're over that. It's, it's, it, we're done. And so we want to see a change. And we want to make this community in particular, we'd like this community to reflect the neighbors that live in it. And so I, I think going forward, we, we will do our best collectively to make our voices heard and make this the wonderful, more wonderful community that it already is. Yeah, Crystal, you know, you were here in Singapore from 2013 to 2017 when, of course, uh, your husband Kirk was the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador here. Did you learn any lessons uh, about the way people can mix and and come together uh, from the Singapore model, which is, you know, very much puts, you know, very high emphasis on cohesion among different uh, racial, ethnic, uh, religious groups? So, Glenn, let me tell you, (laughs) I will never have a an experience like that again. One of the things I always often talk to people about Singapore was there were holidays across the board. Mm. No matter no matter your religion or your ethnicity, there were holidays and, and we celebrated it in Singapore as an honor to everyone. And we don't do that here. Yeah. Um, we're selective about it. I was so endeared and I cherished that. I cherished that I met couples who were interracial, no matter what that looked like, whether it was Chinese, Indian. That was amazing to me. I also felt safe in Singapore. Mm. Singapore was a safe space for me. Um, I had never felt that sort of freedom, ever. I talk about how innovative Singapore has been in celebrating all the different colors and ethnicities and religions that are there. I often talk about that because I think when you are, it's held to an, it's a higher standard and it's a higher standard that I think we should all aspire to. It was an important time in my life. And I will say this, the African-American men that I would spend time with there working always told me, say, Crystal, it's like having an anvil off your neck. When I came to Singapore to work, wow. I came into work with my shoulders high, my head held high, because they, they were respecting me for the work that I could do. Mm. That's a big deal. That was a huge deal. And I will always appreciate Singapore for that experience. And I hope that my ch- oldest child, who spent the first three and a half years of her life there, will carry that with her. Uh, and I'll make sure she does. And Singapore was a very important place for me as an African-American to see how it can be done. Wouldn't that be amazing to see the U.S. get to that that point uh, at some point? Huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Crystal, let's let's finish off. You know, we have to talk about the twenty the election coming up and and what's <laughs> going on. And, and you and Kirk were both uh, huge supporters of Kamala Harris, of course, the California senator. Mm-hmm. Her name is now being brought up again as a possible vice presidential candidate uh, with Joe Biden, mm-hmm. um, the presumptive nominee. What are your feelings about where the Democrats need to go um, uh, as they go forward in this election cycle? You know, let me first say we, we you know, we need leadership in these times, not someone who's going to pander to their base and not the entire country. Uh, So we need leadership for everyone, intelligent leadership. I think Joe Biden 
has been a force in our community and the community at large for quite some time. He himself has said that he is going to bring on a female vice president. I love it. Mm. (laughs) I'm so Mm. looking forward to that. So that aside, I mean, look, Kamala would be wonderful. He's banning about a lot of uh, wonderful women. And I think the importance of that is to say, hey, we are inclusive. We value opinions that may not be standard in U.S. politics. It is time to have, whether it's a woman or an African-American, I'm obviously biased against Kamala Harris. I think she would be fabulous, but there are a number of women that would be fabulous. But that women would bring a new perspective, an additional perspective to, to government, some empathy, compassion, some understanding. You know, women, we're used to taking care of everybody anyway. <laughs> but I think that, you know, I'm looking forward to see who he picks, and we're going to support it no matter what, because right now what we are sorely lacking is leadership for everyone, leadership that's not divisive, leadership that is cognizant the problems and the interests all people in this country. And and I think Joe Biden is just that person to make that happen. And I think his VP will supplement whatever he's talking about. And I think a woman will even add more to it. So mm. certainly a woman's great if it's an African-American woman that adds another you know piece to this, a, a voice that is seldom heard across the country but needs to be heard because for too long – we have been uh, subjugated to the back rooms. And not, I don't mean the back rooms where good stuff has happened. I mean the back rooms where we're unheard. So I think the time is now to make a statement, and I hope he makes that statement. We are so happy to have you on the show today. Crystal Wagger, the mayor of Miami Shores Village in Florida and a, and a friend to Singapore, <laughs> a former resident. Th- thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate uh, your comment. Thank you for having me. and. and Hello, Singapore. I do miss you dearly. And I'll leave you on this. My oldest daughter still tells everyone, where are you from? I'm from Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Glenn, for having me. I think we're, we're, we're headed for some change in our country. We need the world's help to get us to where we need to be and should have been many years ago. So thank you so much for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.